me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20. A little more than seven years ago, I preached on this passage two times in a row, about three weeks apart. The first time was my last Sunday at Covenant Presbyterian in Atlanta, and the next time was my first Sunday as your pastor here at St. Andrews. The first time I preached it was painful, it was sad. We were grieving over leaving people that we loved and still love. And when I preached it here, to me, it was a happy occasion. It was exciting, a little scary with the unknown. The reason I chose this passage is because we have here the Apostle Paul who was talking to elders in Ephesus and he was talking to them about the ministry that he had just carried out among them and what he had attempted to do. And so it it felt not that I was comparing myself to the Apostle, but it felt appropriate uh, in leaving to share with the folks what I had hoped to have done for 18 years in, uh, in the church in Atlanta. And then I laid out here what I hoped to see coming here at St. Andrews. Now, seven years later, here we are. And I'm not inclined to skip passages when I'm going straight through uh, books of the Bible. I think that's God's, God's way of in his providence of uh, leading us through things. So it's a good time for us to revisit uh, this passage, maybe from a little bit of uh, a different angle. We're going to begin with the 17th verse. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time Uh, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. For I, do not shrink from, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish uh, everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way we must help uh, the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So, Lord, will you today, will you take this, this passage, this account of Paul speaking to these elders in Ephesus, people he labored among whom he loved, they'd been through a lot. But will you use these in our hearts and lives. You, you saw fit to record this for, for some reason. And one of the reasons is because he, we today would be here looking at this passage. So will you cause your spirit to teach us? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me begin by alleviating two concerns that I would have if I were sitting in your seat. The first concern is, oh, he's just pulled out an old sermon. He's going to preach again. It's not as though you would have remembered it if I hadn't have said that. But I will tell you this. Whenever I go to a passage that I've preached before, and when you've been preaching for you know, over three decades, you, you do preach through passages more than once in certain passages. 
But whenever I go back, I never just preach the same sermon. Occasionally, I will use some of the same points. I will sometimes use some of the exegesis that I had done uh, prior to this. But every circumstance is different, and so this is not the same sermon. So if you're one of those people that puts a little date next to, you know, next to it, uh, you don't have to bother to show me that, that I've preached this before. Secondly, if you're looking at the outline, some of you said, whoa, there's eight points today. We're not going to beat the Baptist to the buffet today, are we? Don't worry. Some of those points we will just barely mention. We've either developed them or will develop them at other times, and yet they're here. I, I, I want to acknowledge that they're there, but we won't be developing them today. So you can relax, and let's take a look at this passage. And what I want to focus on, and this is similar, is what a, a Christ-focused passion looks like. Because that's really, that's really what we see here. And later on in the message, I'm going to tell you some of the things that I did say that first, that first sermon here. Because frankly, I hadn't even looked at that until this week, and I found it encouraging. So let's take a look. First of all, what we see here, it's obvious, it jumps out to me is that a, a Christ-focused passion, there will be a faithfulness to the message. Look at what Paul says here in verse 20. He says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. Verse 31, Therefore be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul could only declare himself as innocent of the blood of all men because he was so confident that he had been faithful to the Word. It wasn't his own faithfulness, but it was that he day in and day out told the people what was in the Word of God. Now, this is what, what we do here, and this is uh, uh, typical of those of you that are, you know, here every Sunday, you know that typically we go from a book beginning to end, and that's probably pretty obvious. If you're visiting with us, you see we're on message number 44 in Acts chapter 20. Now, here, here's why we do that and how we do that. We will take breaks. You know, there'll be breaks for, for Advent and for Easter and for various things through the year. But for the most part, we go straight through uh, the, the, the books of the Bible. And here we are in Acts. And so on Monday, I'm in my study, and I, I, I say, okay, God, you know, this is the next passage. What do you have for us 
this week in this passage. Now, it's not just that that's an easier way to do things. In fact, in some ways, just preaching my own hobbies would be the easiest. But this keeps me from preaching just the things I I like to preach and the things I like to talk about and the things that are familiar to me. It disciplines me to preach, as it were, the whole counsel of God because if you consistently go straight through it and you don't skip passages, that's why I didn't skip this one today, even though I had preached it here before, you don't skip passages, then you're going to ultimately address all of the things that God wants us to hear. So I don't, I don't often explain that to you all, but that's why we do it this way. Now, if I was just preaching thematic studies, look, we all have blind spots. And what, what I would do is I would skip over my blind spots and pretty soon... My blind spots are your blind spots, and we're missing things. And so that's why we systematically uh, go through books of the Bible for the most part here. Now, closely related to this is the, the second thing you see on the outline, and that is a boldness with the message. Verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, I wouldn't say when you're dealing with the Word of God, get out there and be fearless. Because I don't think that's realistic. Now, I will say, The older I've gotten, the less fear I have of men. But I'm not not there. I haven't arrived to where there's never any fear that I deal with. But there's a difference between being fearless and being bold. Being bold is being faithful to the Word of God even when there is fear. Even when you don't know what the results are will be. And in many cases, that's where Paul was. Paul, I I feel safe in saying he had fears at times. Just think of this. I mean, he said he knew that he'd he'd be beaten. The Holy Spirit told him he'd be beaten in various places. If you've ever been beat up, then I would say you'd probably have a fear of getting beat up again. And he, it happened to him over and over again. He had stones thrown at him till they thought he was dead. Well, I, you know, we would, I would have a dread of that that's going to happen again. And yet that's where the boldness comes in is out of obedience to Christ, he did it anyway. He continued on. Missionary Oswald Chambers said, It's the most natural thing in the world to be scared. And the clearest evidence that God's grace is at work in our hearts is when we do not get into panics. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you 
fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Get it? You see, that's where, that's where Paul was. So I'm pretty convinced everyone has fears. It's just that some are empowered to do things that cause their fears to become secondary. That's Paul. And I am further convinced that it's because he understood that God had given him the message of life and death, eternal life and death. So whatever fears he had became secondary. I, I'm, I am convinced that Paul had a greater fear of having the blood of men on his head if he weren't faithful than he feared those men. And that's what a passionate faith is, understanding what's at stake, as Paul did. And then those with a passionate faith, there's a willingness to follow. Look at verse 22. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen <clears throat> to me there. For Paul, <coughs> it was the most comfortable thing to just stay put. He had a good gig going here in Ephesus. People loved him. He loved them. He could have just stayed there. You know, Paul could have retired there. They didn't retire, but Paul could have retired there. He, he could have ridden it out. Why'd he move? Constrained by the Spirit. And he was going to Jerusalem. He says, I don't know what's going to happen there. Well, there is one thing I know. I'm going to get beaten. <laughs> That's the only thing I know about every other place I will go. God's Spirit told me that. He had to be constrained by the Spirit. When one follows Christ, I'll say this, following Him won't always make sense to everybody else because it probably didn't make sense to some for Paul to leave. Stay here. Be our pastor. We need you. We're growing. We're growing in the Lord. <clears throat> You're the one that led us to Christ. I'm constrained by the Spirit. And so I've got to tear myself away from you. It won't always make sense. Why would the good ones go to Germany? We could use them here. Why would the parks go to Turkey? Why would a, a little Alabama boy go to England, huh? Does that make sense? Well, there's only one way it makes sense, and that's if you're constrained by the Spirit to do it. Then it makes sense. And it's the only thing that makes sense. You know, to some of the folks at Covenant, it didn't make sense to them for me to leave there after 18 years to go to a state I'd barely ever been in. Constrained by the Spirit, 
there'll be a willingness to follow. A passionate faith further includes a willingness to suffer. We don't like saying this. We don't like hearing it. I don't. But it's there. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Because he was convinced that was where God was calling him to go, Paul was willing to go even if it meant suffering. Now look, in other parts of the world, that's the norm. We, we mustn't forget that. We're so insulated here. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that none of you had to worry when you left your home that you'd be followed or arrested or the doors would be blocked or someone will burst in here and and arrest you, or do worse, as my friend who is in Pakistan said, is a constant concern because Christians are being targeted there. I'm thankful that we don't worry about that at this point, but we must be conscious of our brothers and sisters around the world. Kirsten Powers, you may, you may see her... Uh, as a, a contributor on CNN or Fox. Um, she was an atheist who, be, who came to Christ. And she wrote this in an article in the Daily Beast. You probably don't read that, but <laughs> it's okay. Christians in the Middle East and Africa are being slaughtered, tortured, raped, kidnapped, beheaded, and forced to flee the birthplace of Christianity. One would think this horror might be consuming the pulpits and pews of American churches. Not so. The silence has been nearly deafening. We must remember our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering because they named the name of Christ. Not suffering for Christ is the exception. It's the anomaly, not the norm. That goes for now, that goes for all down through history because this world is not our home. That's why. And every time we hear about suffering or there's suffering in our life, we should be reminded this world is not my home. If it were my home, I wouldn't be suffering here. There's another world that is my home. I'm staying here until he calls me there. A passionate faith has an eternal perspective. Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. You, you hear that? I, I said that quickly. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Most of us say that's the most precious thing I have. 
He says, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I read this quote from a French priest, John Vianney. He said this, My God, grant me the conversion of my parish. I'm willing to suffer all whatsoever it may please thee to lay upon me. Yes, even for a hundred years, I'm prepared to endure the sharpest pains. Only let my people be converted. My God, convert my parish. It's a passionate faith. I'm not sure I'm ready to pray that, willing to completely suffer. I do pray this every single morning, every morning. Ever since I was preaching through Mark and I came upon this phrase in Mark 12 where Jesus is is talking with one and he says, you are not far from the kingdom. And I pray this every morning for our congregation. May nobody who is under my ministry be left not far from the kingdom. In other words, just outside the kingdom. A passionate faith will show a trust in His sovereignty. Verse 32, Now I commend to you God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The context, he's saying, look, there's going to be savage wolves will come in. There's going to be some among you who are going to be teaching wrong things. There's going to be messes that you're going to deal with. But he was trusting God. When, when I left Pennsylvania to go to Atlanta in 1988, and when I left Atlanta to come here in 2006, this passage was a comfort to me because we as pastors, you know, when you, when you serve a congregation, you, you can get kind of possessive of them. And you say, you know, you know and, and they're, they're saying, what's going to happen to us when you leave? And you start thinking, yeah, what's going to happen? Oh, you know. And here we see Paul saying, look, you're going to face trials, but I'm trusting in God's sovereignty. And that's been a great comfort to me because God has always loved the congregations that I have served way more than I love them. And that's a great comfort. And then a passionate faith will not be attached to the things of this world. We're not even going to develop this, uh, but read verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. Nothing pulls us from Christ like a love and dependence on the world we live in. Nothing will will take away your passion for Christ like a growing love for our comforts in this world. And then we see with Paul, this passion of faith reflected by a love for God's people. Verse 37, there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. If you really have a passion for Christ, 
you'll have a love for his people. But let me tell you this, the converse is true as well. If you don't have a love for his people, you know what it says in, in 1 John? You don't even know God. John's saying, don't kid yourself. If you don't love God's people, you don't love God. If you're telling yourself you do, you know, don't, don't give me one of those, well, I, you know, I love Jesus, I just can't stand church people. <laughs> Go read 1 John. He's not going to let you get away with that. When I looked back at the first message I preached uh, when I was leaving Covenant on this passage, I, I had my actual notes, and at the top of each page said, Don't cry, Dale. <laughs> now, the reason I had that is because on Saturday night, our daughter Abby, who was in seventh grade, you know, she knew next day's the, you know, my, my last sermon there. And she said, Dad, don't cry tomorrow because when you cry, everybody starts crying. And I said, okay, I'll do my best. And so I, I wrote that on the top of each page. Don't cry, Dale. What sustained Paul in all of this? Was it that he was a super guy? You know, that sometimes when you, you hear a message like this and you say, okay, that's a passionate faith. Wow, I, that doesn't really describe me. What, you know, I'll never be like Paul. Where'd it come from? It, it wasn't because he was a great man. Though in some ways he was a great man. Listen to what he writes. I want to read you from Philippians and Colossians. I'll just read them to you, but do look these up later. These are important. Philippians 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. And then verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see the balance there? Yeah, we, we work, but it's not going to work unless he's working in me. And then Colossians 1, verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all energy, with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. You get it? You get it? He's, he's saying, the only thing that sustains me is not my goodness or my stick to but his energy that is within me. And that's, that's ultimately our only hope for passionate faith. Christ in me, working within me. Now, here's how I ended my sermon seven years ago. 
the, the one here, my first message here. And some of you were here. I had started out by saying, you know, we need to look at the end product. What are we aiming for? And I said, so if we go to the end of the story and see the product, a passion of faith, what will we see? And then I listed a number of things. We will see many years from now the church on the hill still preaching the gospel passionately and so boldly that some will oppose it. I would still say, in fact, all of these I would still say, out there, seven years from now, 50 years from now, if we have a passion of faith, this is what we will see, still preaching the gospel. And then this one's interesting to me. We will see many from St. Andrews being sent out on short and uh, long-term to all parts of the world. Now, I want you to understand, when I said that, that year I came, we had only had a small group go to West Virginia, and that was it. So it wasn't as though, you know, yeah, we'll ride this tide. But I said, that's, that's one of the things I think we will see someday. Today, we just had a team get back from Bulgaria. We have one going to England, another headed to Haiti. So far this year, we had teams go to New York City, West Virginia, Haiti, Ukraine, and the good ones are ministering in Germany. God has opened all kinds of doors for us. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And then I further said in the same statement, and those who stay put will do so not because it's easier or more comfortable, but because they are called to stay and minister here. And I couldn't help when I read that this week of thinking of our local, uh, our local missions. Involved, I mean, just this week alone, bringing back the daybreak baby bottles. Last week was their, you know, their, their dinner, their fundraising dinner, and many of our folks were there uh, feeding the hungry at Crossroads. We've got uh, almost 50 kids every weekend that are going home without food that we are sending food with and sharing God's love. You all brought bags and bags of food this week. Somebody said, we have a lot of food drives going on right now. And we do. Because those of us who name the name of Christ, who have more food, should share our food with those who don't know Christ yet it might help them to see that our faith is genuine. And you know the beauty of it is doing it through crossroads and through sharing God's love is that, that you know, it's not those kids' fault. Maybe their parents' fault, but it's not their fault. And sharing God's love, they work with them over a period of, of time. I said seven years ago, we will see people knowing that there is suffering, when there is suffering in their lives, it's part of their calling and be reminded that this world is not their home. We will see people with such an eternal perspective that although there is grief in death, they will face it without fear because we are only pilgrims in this life. This is still hard. But now, 44 funerals later, I see people all the time realizing that for the believer, death is not the worst thing 
for the believer, it's our big day. And I see more and more people really believing that. I said we'll see people so trust in God's sovereignty that worry that plagues so many Christians will be diminished. For some, it will disappear. And then I said, and we'll see such love that the world will have to acknowledge there's something different there, meaning here. And this week I thought of just one example. I have to think that every time during the week that we stop the traffic on St. Andrew's Road, (laughs) some of you have seen this, some of you have been in that line, we stop the traffic because We've gone across the street, and we've gotten these sixth graders, and we bring them over here to teach the Bible. And so uh, people put on these reflective vests, and they have stop signs, and they would put their bodies between those kids and cars in a minute. And the cars that are sitting there see this rowdy bunch of sixth graders, sometimes disrespectful, sometimes unappreciative, coming over here and adults escorting them over here, I have to think that they say, why would they put themselves through that? And I'll tell you what, there's only one explanation. It's an uncommon love for Christ and for those who need Christ. You know what? There's a lot of good churches in Columbia. There's a lot of good churches around here. But when the world sees genuine, passionate faith, genuine, passionate love, it will stand up and take notice and want to be part of that. May God grant us an ever more passionate faith in Christ. Let's bow together and ask Him for that. Lord, not because of us. We could never conjure that up. But only because of Christ in us. Will you cause our faith to grow to be ever deeper, ever more passionate, ever more risky, ever more loving. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.